Open your Bibles, please. I invite you to open them to Matthew chapter 5 and continue standing as we read God's Word. We're going to read uh, Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. We're continuing our study in the Sermon on the Mount, and particularly in the Beatitudes. We're looking at Matthew 5, 5 today, and, but we'll read 1 through 12. Matthew 5, beginning at verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Lord God, we come to you today dependent upon you and and thankful for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Jesus' day, there were a lot of people that were waiting for him to come upon the scene, and they wanted him to fulfill their agenda. It didn't matter if you were a prideful Pharisee or a materialistic Sadducee, an isolationist Essene, or a politically charged zealot. They were like sharks circling in the water. They wanted what they wanted. They wanted strength. They wanted power and glory and freedom. They wanted to be in the in crowd. And they wanted to enjoy the benefits that the Messiah would bring just for them. They wanted brute force. And they got meek and gentle. They got humble. They got Jesus. Jesus said the meek are blessed. As we have seen in previous weeks, the Greek word for blessed, makarios, is a a very special word. It means God-like joy. The the Greeks called the island of Cyprus, uh, hey makaria, meaning the happy island. They called Cyprus the happy island because they believed that Cyprus was so beautiful and lovely and rich and fertile that no one would ever think of going anywhere else to get their needs met. They believed that Cyprus held within its shores the per, the, what you could find for a perfectly happy life here on earth. Cyprus had the perfect climate. It had beautiful flowers and fruits and trees and, and minerals and other resources all within itself, all within the island. All the materials that you would need for perfect happiness here on earth, humanly speaking. Macarius, though, 
describes the joy that comes from God that is self-contained. It is within itself. It has within itself the untouchable character, that untouchable peace that is independent of everything that happens on earth. Independent of all the chances, independent of all the changes of life. But our word happiness, it doesn't mean the same thing as God's perfect joy, Makarios, does. See, our word happiness means nothing of the sort. It contains the, uh, the root hap, which means chance. The word happenstance comes from it. It means luck. Human happiness is dependent upon whatever happens. It's easily moved. Life gives it and life takes it away. Christian blessedness, on the other hand, is untouchable. Jesus said in John 16, 22, no one can take your joy away from you. No one. As William Barclay put it, the Beatitudes speak of the joy which sorrow and loss and pain and grief are powerless to touch. That joy which shines through tears and which nothing in life or death can take away. Blessed. Now meek is what Jesus wants his followers to be. Gentle. Keep in mind that the Beatitudes are for one group of people. Christians. It would be wrong to think that you're entitled to half the blessings listed in the Beatitudes if you set your mind on keeping four of them. Four out of the eight. I think I'll just do, just do half the Beatitudes and get those, those four blessings, but I, I just will forego the others because they're too hard. No, all eight are for all Christians. They describe what a Christian is by virtue of their relationship to Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 5, blessed are the meek, what he was referring to is how Christians are to be in the world, how Christians are to operate, that they are truly happy because they are now enabled to do what the unsaved can never do in their own strength. They're able to do God-pleasing things for eternal purposes. They're able to do the right things for the right reasons. The main theme, if you'll remember, of the Sermon on the Mount was that they would not be like the world. Jesus said, do not be like them. They were not to be like the world. Jesus' agenda for Christians was that they would be like him, that they would be different. That's why he tells them, don't be like them. Be like me. Be different. Now, you can't get much different than the world than being meek and gentle. Many people associate meekness with weakness. In fact, many men will say, just what I suspected. There's the church for you. A lot of times they'll say, it's just for the ladies. No offense, ladies. Say, it's, it's light. It's weak. It's for people who need a crutch. Nothing could be further from the truth. See, they picture, uh, what is it, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. And they picture Jesus' followers as weaklings and pushovers, doormats. That's not it at all. Now, one of the ways you can view the Beatitudes is, is as stages of spiritual blessing. Stage one is 
where you recognize that you are spiritually bankrupt apart from Christ. You, you realize the, the magnitude of your sin. But at the same time, you realize the immensity of God's grace that covers our sin. Stage two is when you mourn over that sin. That magnitude of that sin that, that seems like a crushing weight, but which the grace of God lifts when you see its immensity. So, then you have stage three. Meek. Gentle. The, the Greek word for meek is preus. It can mean gentle, humble, courteous, considerate. D.A. Carson suggests that it, it's this. It's gentleness with the self-control that comes with it. Gentleness with the self-control that comes with it. It's not weakness. Meek you could say it like this. It is self-control inspired and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Self-control inspired and empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is an, an attitude of humble submissiveness. When you are offended, when you are injured, when someone comes up against you and, and says false things about you, it's an, it's an attitude of humble submissiveness to God when that happens. And also being free from desire for revenge and making things right, uh, setting the record straight. In, in other words, you don't chase people down and get even with them. Now you're kind of looking at me like, what are you, what are you talking about? Uh, we don't do that. Yes, you do. If you're anything like me, yes, you do, or you want to. It's one thing to say, you know what, Lord, I am, am, am bankrupt before you. I, I can't do anything apart from you. And, and I am mourning over my sin. But you let someone else tell you that you're bankrupt spiritually. You let someone else tell you that you're miserable and poor and naked and blind spiritually. You want to punch them in the face. You want to get back. You want to defend yourself. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. You will not carry out the desires of the flesh. I think there's this, there's this idea I've been thinking about recently, that there's this tie-in between the Beatitudes in, in Matthew chapter 5 and the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. That the Beatitudes describe what, a, what Christians are by virtue of their relationship to Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is what the Spirit of God produces in and through the lives of Christians. The outcome of God's work in the lives of His children. Now, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that meekness signifies a gentle and humble attitude towards other people which is driven by a true understanding of ourselves. Meekness is basically having a true picture of yourself having a true view of who you are, which will express itself in, in your attitudes and your actions towards other people that would honor God. Leon Morris said this, the follower of Jesus does not aggressively insist on his own right, but displays genuine humility. The meek are not simply submissive because they lack the resources to be anything else. Meekness is quite compatible with great strength and ability as humans measure strength. But whatever strength or weakness the meek person has is accompanied by humility 
and a genuine dependence on God. True meekness may be the quality of the strong who could assert themselves but choose not to. They hold themselves back. And it's not a waste. It's not a waste, but it is an offering to God which shows a focus on what truly matters, on what really matters. See, the meek are the strong who decline to domineer. They, they are the powerful who refuse to control. See, with power becomes, comes responsibility, and they take it very seriously. See, pushing our way to the front of the line is not a Christian virtue. It is never a Christian virtue. Self-assertion is not listed anywhere as a virtue that Christians should attain. God calls Christians to be busy in lowly service to Him, in outflow to others, and to refuse uh, to, to operate in conduct that merely advances their own agenda, that merely gets themselves ahead. That's not a Christian virtue. Ed Glasscock said this. He commented about Jesus being meek. And he said, Jesus was meek not because he was doing what he did. And think about what he did. He openly confronted with great boldness the enemies of God and his word and his people. Jesus, he said, was not doing what he did selfishly to compete with them or to extract personal vengeance upon them. John MacArthur said that meekness is the opposite of violence and vengeance. Literally, it is the spirit of Jesus Christ. Meekness. It's a picture of someone who exercises self-control, empowered by the Holy Spirit. See, the gentle don't need uh, to follow everyone else around who's injured them or hurt them or said something about them or looked at them the wrong way. They don't need to follow everyone around and set the record straight. They don't need to go around defending themselves. They let God do that. They have nothing to prove and therefore nothing to lose. They're secure in Christ. The meek person is someone who waits patiently for God's justice. You see, Jesus was most likely quoting from Psalm 37. And in Psalm 37, we read words that begin with, don't fret because of evildoers who prosper in their ways here on earth. Don't fret about that. Don't be envious toward those who do wrong. You see, the meek don't take matters into their own hands. They don't have to right every wrong. It's the person who patiently endures what evildoers do. Psalm 37 and verse 5 says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, He will do it. Verse 7, Rest in the Lord, wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil doing. In verse 9, for evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. In a little while, verse 10 says, the wicked man will be no more. You will look carefully for his place and he will not be there. Gone. Verse 11 says, but the humble will inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant prosperity. 
and make take, don't take matters into their own hands. They patiently endure what evildoers do, just like Jesus did. Just like Jesus. It looks a lot like Abraham giving Lot the first choice of the land. It looks like Joseph refusing to extract vengeance against his brothers. It looks like Moses not defending himself against unjust accusations. It looks like David not wanting to harm the Lord's anointed. It's Paul refusing anymore to put confidence in the flesh. Meekness is self-control empowered by the Holy Spirit. The meek are blessed, Jesus says. The meek are blessed because of what they have received from God and what they will receive from God. See, I think they've already received something from God. Jesus says they will inherit the land. They will receive that someday. But there's something that they get, what they have received already, and it is, it is perspective. It is a clear view of, of who God is and, and who they are, and, and they know the difference, and they're able then to uh, appropriately interact with other people because of it. It's the gift of a realistic view of God, yourself, and others. Isaiah had it in Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, he, gets, he has this vision of God, this, this vision of God's holiness. It begins in verse 1. It was in the year of King Uzziah's death. And, and, and he says, I saw the Lord high and exalted, sitting on a throne, lofty, up high. And, and the train of his, temp, of his robe was filling the whole temple. And seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And, and one called out to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Said that the foundations of the threshold shook. Because of the voice of him who called out. And the temple, it filled with smoke. And then Isaiah says, Woe is me, verse 5, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king. The king of glory. He had a view of God, and he realized that he wasn't God. <laughs> and there was perspective. Inst- that'll build your perspective instantly. <laughs> Paul had that too. Paul had a perspective builder. Jesus met him on, a, on the road to Damascus. You meet up with God and you, your perspective changes. There's a, a good perspective we see in Romans chapter 12. Paul talking about the, the living sacrifice that we ought to be, that our lives ought to be before God. And that we shouldn't be, you know, um, pushed into the world's mold, but we should let ourselves be transformed as God wants to renew our minds. And in Romans 12, 3, it says, because for the grace given to me, by the grace given to me, Paul says, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. See, you can think more lowly or more highly of yourself, and God just wants you to think so as to have sound judgment. That is a gift from God. Perspective. That's what the meek have already received. 
That's why they're meek. But there is something that the meek will receive, and it's something for which men for centuries have bled and fought and died for. The earth. The earth. Kind of a wild thought, I know. Genesis 1.28. God, when he made man in his image, very first chapter of the Bible, we see the origins of the universe, and we see God saying, let's, like, let's, like, let's make man in our image, according to our likeness. This is uh, Genesis 1.26. Let him rule over the fish and the beasts and the, the whole earth. So man was given dominion over the earth. Verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And in verse 28, it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule. That was God's intent. Now man messed that up. Man messed it up royally and continues to do so. But one day, one day, God's children will come into the full realization of that inheritance. That God will one day reclaim his earthly domain. Right now, Satan is called uh, the, the prince of this earth. The God of this world. Praise God that greater is he who is in you, if you're a Christian, than he who is in the world. God is greater. But one day, God is going to reclaim this earth. And he will put his people uh, ruling over that domain. The earth. It's kind of a wild thought, I know. It's a wild thought. Five, uh, Matthew 5.5 5 says, The meek shall inherit the earth. The earth. The very thing that, that we say we own. You know, we think we own a plot of land. Own a plot of land. God owns everything. Everything. See, now it is a crazy thought. You'd think the opposite would be different. What do you mean the, the meek will inherit the earth? You'd think the opposite would be true. The meek would be ignored. The meek will get nowhere. The meek will get stepped on while everyone else goes and gets that. See, the powerful succeed, the weak lose. It's what you see all around. So we think. It does happen all the time around here on earth. It seems that way. But there are unseen spiritual realities at work here. There are unseen spiritual realities in play. See, as it is with most things, it's the other way around with Jesus. The other way around. The way up is down. The way to strength is through weakness. See, the meek are going to inherit the earth, receive it as a gift that they did not earn, that they did not make, that they did not work for. What men have fought for centuries to own, what others may possess but they do not own, because everything is God's, they're going to inherit the earth. How do they get there? We know one thing about how the meek get to that place in life. They don't get there on their own strength. They, they, it's not, it doesn't work that way. They get there by taking two roads simultaneously 
That doesn't sound like it makes sense either, but there are spiritual realities at work. They, they, go, they get there by taking two roads, one that they have to choose themselves and one that is chosen for them. The one chosen for them is the one that takes them through suffering. There is no other way. The Apostle Paul talked about it in Acts chapter 14. In Acts chapter 14, Paul is, uh, is recounting how he went back to some of the cities that they had made disciples. To uh, Iconium and Lystra and Antioch. And, and what they did when they got there is they strengthened the souls of the disciples. They did discipleship. They went back and visited the believers and they, they strengthened them. And just like we should do with one another, encouraging one another. It says that, that they, in, in Acts 14 and, uh, and verse 22, it says they went around strengthening the souls of the disciples. Encouraging them to continue in the faith. We should do that with one another. Keep going. You can do it. The end is in sight. Heaven is our goal. So that's what they did. But the interesting thing about Paul, you've got to see what happened right before that. You see, Paul was not speaking from a, a, an ivory tower. Paul was not high above them, uh, sending down edicts. What he was doing is he was talking to them with blood on his clothes. He was talking to them with bruises on his back. Here's what happened. Verse 19 of Acts chapter 14. Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul. Paul had gotten stoned right before that. Not what, and that's not what you're thinking. Word meanings change. He got stoned with rocks. They threw rocks at him in order to kill him. I know what some of you are thinking. That's not true. Paul got stoned with rocks, and they left him for dead. They dragged him out of the city, and they left him for dead. What happened next? He picked himself up, he dusted himself off, and he went right back. And he went to Iconium and Lystra and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to to stand strong in the faith. And look what he said, and I quote verse, verse 22, through many tribulations... We must enter the kingdom of God through many tribulations. And he knew firsthand what those were, what some of those were. And he had a a perspective. He had a true view of himself. And he he went through suffering. He said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3, he said, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Suffer hardship. So that's the one that gets chosen for them. There is no other road. That is the road you've got to go down. Now, simultaneously, you're going down another road. And it's one that you must choose. And many find it too difficult. Many stop going down that road. Uh, But without it, nothing of value is going to happen in your life, spiritually speaking. They get there through many daily, moment-by-moment, deliberate choices. And I know that's a mouthful. But it's not just, oh, they make choices. No, it's many. And it happens moment-by-moment. And they are deliberate, deliberate choices 
to go in God's way, to go towards God. And in fact, Paul talked to Timothy about it in 1 Timothy 4. You can see this. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 14, he's talking to Timothy as a young uh, minister of the gospel. He's, he's giving him advice and he's, he's pointing things out to him that, that, that he should also point out to the church. And, and in, verse, in verse 14, he says, Don't neglect the spiritual gift that's in you, bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. And in verse 15, 1 Timothy 4.15, Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them. What things? Go up the passage to verse 12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but rather in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, in your purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. Right? He's telling him that, and he says, be absorbed in those things so that your progress will be evident to all. That comes by, by many daily, moment-by-moment, deliberate choices. He says, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. He's saying, pay attention to your private life. Pay attention to your public ministry. They're important. They're in play here. See, the meek become meek by, by, through suffering and, and by daily faithfulness to God who is faithful. But when you think about it, when you think about the meekness that Christians are to show by virtue of their association with Jesus, you notice something right away. You notice it about yourself. You notice it about almost every person you know who says, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I, I'm not trusting in my own Righteousness. I'm, I'm trusting Christ's finished work on the cross and his penalty, his paying the penalty for my sins. Every single person, whether it's yourself, if you're a believer, or it's someone you know that professes faith in Christ, what is clear is that on average, we do not portray this virtue of meekness. I don't. Now you're looking at me weird again, like like. Hey, you're the only guy. You know, talk, speak for yourself. You know, I know if you're anything like me, you know. It, it goes back to the thing and the stage is a blessing. Well, I can call myself spiritually bankrupt apart from Christ. I can say I am mourning over my sin. But if you try to tell me that, I want to defend myself. I want to fight back. See, we don't often portray this virtue. Sometimes... The exact opposite is true of people who say that they are believers in Jesus. We often lose sight. We lose our bearings, uh, find ourselves in an angry tailspin rather than the, 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 the calm and peaceful uh, you know, rest of meekness, of, of gentleness. See, if, if meek describes Christians... How come it doesn't describe me? How come it doesn't describe you? What's the problem? Well, for starters, we're really inconsistent. 
you know, if we are faithful, if we are faithless, God remains faithful. He is faithful. But we are, we are inconsistent and we, we leak God's good grace that he showers upon us moment by moment. We, we leak. We, we can't hold it in on ourselves. We can't make ourselves humble and gentle. We can't make ourselves meek. You can't walk out today and say, well, I'm going to try really hard to be meek this week. You just can't do it. On the other hand, you've got to make many daily moment by moment, deliberate choices on what you know to be true. In the power of the Holy Spirit, if the Lord wills, we shall be meek. But we will not make ourselves meek. And the Lord does will that we shall be meek. Now, we often lose our way. We are inconsistent. We do leak God's good grace. And we know we can't make ourselves gentle or or meek but we can cooperate with god according uh, rather than working against him there is such a thing as working against him rather than working with him there's a familiar scripture that says and working together with him we urge you not to receive the grace of god in vain don't work against him work with him cooperate he wants you to walk in his ways Proverbs says there is a way that seems right to a man, but at the end is the way of death. Don't go that way. Hebrews 12 says make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame will not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Go in God's way. It's the, it's the narrow way versus the broad way. There is a narrow way that leads to life. There is a broad way that leads to destruction. Jesus said few are those who find the narrow way. I guess the thing that most people want to know is, how can, how can I be on track spiritually so that my life practically makes sense and that I, I truly can be useful to God? I mean, we all want that. We all want to be used by God. We all want to, to, make, to make a difference and to truly be used. Well, it's like this. The Christian life is not automatic. Okay, It's manual. No one likes to drive stick shift anymore. You know why? Because you can't talk on your phone and eat a burrito at the same time. Oh, and, and fix your, your iPod. You can't do all those things while you're driving stick shift. You know, they're going out the window. You do that, though? Okay, I see that hand. Thank you for that confession. Confession is good for you. I see one back there, too. All right, you can do it. You can do it. There are three people in this room. I'll tell you what. Okay, well, so, so, now, so now we got that straight. We'll have a little demonstration after church out in the parking lot. All right. We'll let them leave first, okay? All right. So, the Christian life is not automatic. It is manual. Here's how. You don't get saved from your sin. You don't get forgiven. And then all of a sudden, you become like Jesus that very day. It doesn't happen like that. It's not instant, you know, uh, sanctification. Instant, you're a full-grown Christian right away. Not practically speaking. And you especially don't get more like Jesus by living the same way you used to live before you knew Jesus. Things have to change. But we don't have to make it happen. God does it as we cooperate with him. God takes us through suffering 
And then there's that daily, moment-by-moment choice-making that we've got to engage in. Or else the process won't work. Christian life is not automatic, but we are enabled now to do what we couldn't do before because now the Spirit of God lives within us. Before Christ was in your life, you were totally unable to do what was right. Well, you might have looked like it, but you were totally unable to do what pleased God. But now, through the Spirit, now the, the Spirit works in you to, to produce the fruit of His work in your life. So it is now possible, because God is now at work in you. But what do the meek do? What kind of choices do they make? What kind of daily choices do they make? Um, because when we see that, I think it'll help us to see how we can get back on track as well. We want to look to the faithful one and do as the meek. Do as the meek do. So how do the meek do? Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, right? Jesus used a word um, that means to be burdened. It means to have carried a load to the point of exhaustion. Jesus is saying, you've carried your load to the, to the point of exhaustion, now, now let that go. See, the meek lay down their burden. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. He cares for you. So you can lay down your burden. Then now there is the obvious burden of pride. The obvious burden of pride. It, it's like this. We assign worth, higher or lower, dependent upon our issues, to ourselves or other people. We show re- respect or the lack thereof to them based upon that worth that we have assigned to them or to us, we reject those who don't measure up, those we deem unworthy, and we gladly accept any who fit our profile. Sound familiar? There are some of you in this local body here who you feel like a freak because no one will take you out to lunch or invite you over to their house or talk to you. And you feel like, well, what's wrong with me? There are some in this body that people, we have, we put in every group, we put worth on people and ourselves. They're higher or lower, again, depending upon our issues. You see it happen in classrooms, in office buildings, and sadly, in families, and in the church. You see it happen. See, it's hard to be meek when people are in your face or they're trying to put you in your place that they think you should be in. You know I like A.W. Tozier by the amount of times I quote him, Uh, but he wrote something that goes like this. The heart's fierce effort to protect itself from every slight, to shield its touchy honor from the bad opinion of friend and enemy will never let the mind rest. The sons of earth are carrying this burden continually, challenging every word spoken against them, cringing under every criticism, smarting under every fancied slight, tossing sleepless if another is preferred before them. He said the meek person has accepted God's estimate of his own life. He knows he is as weak and as helpless as God has declared him to be. But... He knows at the same time that he is in the sight of God more important than angels. In himself, nothing. In God, everything. 
That is his motto. He knows well that the world will never see him as God sees him, and he has stopped caring. He rests perfectly content to allow God to place his own values. He will be patient to wait for the day when everything will get its own price tag and real worth will come into its own. Then the righteous shall shine forth in the kingdom of their father. He is willing to wait for that day. You see what the meek do? Is they wait for for God's price tags. We need to make sure we do the same and not do as Matthew 7 and James 4 says, uh, instead of biting at one another and fighting against one another and judging one another. So there's that burden of pride. It attacks us every day. But there's also another burden I want to point out, and it's one I also struggle with in my life. It's the burden of pretending, of, of pretense, of keeping up appearances, of not letting anyone see what you really like for fear that they would reject you if they knew. So we cover up our, our, our poverty. We wear masks. Now, I'm going to venture to guess that there are probably some in this room, those who don't know me very well, maybe you're new here, or you just, we just haven't got to know each other very well, but I would venture to guess that there are some people in this room who think that I, as the pastor, am more spiritual than I really am. Now, those of you that know me are going, no, we know you. I'm glad. That's appropriate. That's right. You should have a realistic view of what it is to live life and not have this inflated view. But I will venture to guess that there may be some of you that think I am more consistent in, in, in living what I teach and preach than I really am. And all I can tell you is, talk to my family. Talk to those who, who have to live with me every day. They'll tell you the truth. Talk to any one of them. Start with Sophie, though, okay? All right. All right. See, we're always on guard, always on guard, lest we slip up. And someone knows what we're really like. Now, that doesn't mean we should let it all hang out and just do whatever we want, whenever we want to, because there's those daily, moment-by-moment choices. We're talking about self-control here, right? Now, it's when, here's the thing. The meek, they take off their masks. They, they thrive on authenticity. They, it's like Jesus talking about Nathaniel when he saw him under the tree before he ever met him, he says, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile, no falsehood, no mask, no pretending. We, we need a bit more tozier here. He also said this, artificiality is one curse that will drop away the moment we kneel at Jesus' feet. And surrender ourselves to his meekness. Then we will not care what people think as long as God is pleased. Then what we are will be everything. What we appear will take its place far down the scale of interest for us. Apart from sin, we have nothing of which to be ashamed. Only an evil desire to shine makes us want to appear other than we are. See, it's when we are truly ourselves that people can relate. If you're a Christian, there is this ideal that God wants us to be reaching for, 
but none of us are there yet. We are still in process. It, by the grace of God, we are making progress, sometimes very slow. But God is making us more like Jesus, all to his glory. But that should lead to more humility, more gentleness, more meekness, since we know it isn't us who does it, but God who makes it happen as we make those daily, moment-by-moment choices. Because the meek lay down their burden of pride and pretending, they are able to do something else. They are able to enter into God's rest. Uh, They have a soul rest that those who are still burdened cannot experience. They have no need to defend themselves because they let God do it. It's really interesting. They're not dragging around a ball and chain of pride and pretending. They reject, they're able to reject every slavery to a false idol. At the end of 1 John, chapter 5, verse 21, he, he says, keep your children, keep yourself from idols because there are things we choose and th- that will assault our, our focus on God. They reject every slavery to, to false idols. They don't go back to a yoke of slavery again, as Paul told the Galatians. And what, what happens then when they do that is they're able to accept Jesus' provision of everything they need, of salvation and of what we need every day onward. You see, God, God it says in, in James 4, 6, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. See, all your sin was against God, yes. He took all the punishment, yes. And all, to come, all who come to him by faith believing are not excluded anymore they are included given the free gift of life forever with him and then the spirit's enabling and empowering every day onward and then the promise of heaven and it's not for the mighty but it's for the meek it's not for the giant but it's for the gentle because everything is ours if we are in christ it's jesus jesus embodied meekness to the hilt, perfectly. See, he brings it up right here in Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek. He says it just one crisp sentence. But he saved the explanation until Matthew chapter 11. When he said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because you know what he said next? He said, he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. I'm meek. And you will find rest for your souls. See, his yoke and his burden are easy. They're not hard because he carries it. And you may have been laboring under a burden of false pretense, of a false sense of assumptions for years, thinking that you need to fight back, that you need to get even, that you need to try harder and, and, and work harder and meet someone else's expectations. No, you don't. You don't. You need to meet Jesus' expectations. He's the one that you need to want to please. Is, is, it's Jesus. Let, Jesus. let Jesus take your burden. Because the burden that you're bearing right now is the one that he wants to take off your shoulders. He wants to communicate through these beatitudes his hope to you. His promises to you. His grace to you. His love to you. His mercy He wants to communicate all that to you. He wants to lift your burden, not add to it. 
That's why the meek can be real. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we, we come to you in awe once again that there is nowhere else to go but you. And Lord, we pray. Lord, we pray that as you take us through suffering and as you take us through life and as we make those moment-by-moment daily decisions that are deliberate in your, in your direction, empowered by you, that you truly would make us gentle. People that are uh, contagiously in love with you. Let me pray in Jesus' name.